Velkommen til Computational Thinking at tænke med maskiner. En podcast fra IT Vest om informatik og brugen af computationelle metoder i forskning, uddannelse og undervisning. I denne og de efterfølgende to episoder, der skal det handle om AI og undervisning. Naturligvis i kølvandet på de seneste måneders voldsomme udvikling af samtalerobotter som ChatGPT og Bing AI. Vi begynder til et seminar om netop AI i undervisning, især på universitetsniveau. Seminaret fandt sted på Chalmers Teknisk Universitet i Jødeborg og bestod først og fremmest af en række oplæg fra nogle af universitetets ansatte. I denne episode der skal vi møde to af dem, nemlig professor Hilman, der forsker i brugen af teknologi i undervisning, og Ole Hekstrøm, der også er interesseret i det store spørgsmål om mere generel kunstig intelligens. A typical definition of artificial general intelligence is to have a machine that has the same capability as we humans or better in all essential parts of human intelligence. Og for en god ordens skyld, så skal jeg lige sige, at som man kan høre, så foregår de to interviews på engelsk. Vi håber, at podcasten her kan tjene til både oplysning og inspiration, og at den kan være med til at danne og forstærke netværk mellem undervisere og forskere, der bruger eller ønsker at bruge komputationelle tankegange og metoder i hverdagen. Jeg hedder Anders Høgh Nissen. Velkommen til. Vores første gæst fra seminaret er Thomas Hilman. Han er professor i anvendt IT i undervisning på Chalmers og forsker i, hvordan teknologi påvirker den måde, vi lærer og opfatter vores verden på, ofte med konkrete undersøgelser af alt fra skolesoftware og onlinefora til interaktive museumsudstillinger. I denne omgang der skal det dog altså især handle om samtalerobotter og sprogmodeller som ChatGPT, og lad os begynde med Thomas Hilmans overordnede vurdering af, hvor vigtig en udvikling det her egentlig er, for uddannelse og undervisning. My view is that a lot of the focus has been on um, what it means in terms of cheating or is this something we need to control? Um, and my view is that it changes the premises for certain activities we do in education, um, but it's not necessarily a threat unto itself. Um, and I think, uh, you know, I've studied quite a lot of technologies and how they've come into formal education uh, settings like I, I've studied graphing calculators for instance and how they change mathematics education and um, we see a similar pattern here um, and it's a pattern that you can even see with the introduction of uh, things like blackboards <laughs> into schools so um, there's a there's a very common pattern around a kind of a Uh, 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 want to control uh, a new technology coming into schools uh, or into education in general and um, and then over time a kind of uh, reaction where we start to see more possibilities and we start to see um, changes that aren't so related to controlling the technology. So do you think that um, large language models, chat, DBT, tools like that, should we see them as evolution rather than revolution? Um... To a certain extent, yeah. Uh, although, in some ways, you can see the large language models like a bit of a revolution. Technically, um, they're um, certainly being treated. At least ChatGPT is being treated a, a, like a, a hammer for every nail at the moment. Um, and in that sense, it's it, it's kind of a revolution. But um, 
there's a lot of hype around it, of course, but there seems to be a lot of kind of misunderstanding of what the technology actually does. Um, so there's uh, a lot of trying to use uh, ChatGPT as a search engine, for instance, which makes very little sense uh, based on, you know, given how the technology works. Um, but obviously it, ha it has its uses. And, um, you know, I think that it's it's ChatGPT is quite an immature technology in the sense that um, lang large language models are uh, have matured a lot, but their application hasn't. And so when you just kind of throw it out there and see what people do with it, it's interesting to see what people do with it. But perhaps the more interesting uses of uh, large language models in education are actually going to come as the technology is built into more specific interfaces where it's used for specific means and filtered in specific ways. Inden vi går videre, så bliver jeg lige nødt til at dele et lille kig bag kulissen som podcaster. Midt i interviewet med Thomas Hellman, så afbrød jeg nemlig mig selv for at komplimentere den, troede jeg, svenske professor med hans fremragende engelske udtale. Det forløb sådan her. Can I just add completely tangentially that your English is fantastic? I'm actually English. Oh, you are? <laughs> well, that explains it. Well, I mean, I'm Canadian. I was born in England, but... Um i was brought up in Canada. So. Oh, okay. Good. Uh, well, now I feel quite silly because I was just this. This guy speaks so much better English. Why? So that is. Well, why. there's a reason. Oh, okay. Maybe but, I should hide that. Yeah, because you just add just a bit of a Swedish accent just to make it all the more impressive. <laughs> well, maybe I'm getting a Swedish accent now. That would be funny. Actually, when I speak Swedish, uh -huh. some people think I'm Danish. Yeah. Nogle gange så ville man bare gerne kunne holde kæft med tilbagevirkende kraft. Thomas Hilman tog det dog pænt, som man kunne høre, og faktisk så tror jeg næsten, at vi hyggede os mere efter mit lidt dumme spørgsmål. Men tilbage til AI og uddannelse, hvor jeg noget mere relevant for samtalen også spurgte Thomas, hvad han ser som nogle af mulighederne i anvendelsen af chatbots i undervisningen. I quite like these use cases where people have asked ChatGPT to rewrite a text in a different style. I, I think that's that can be quite instructive, just for kind of pointing at the differences between different ways of writing. And so um, sometimes, especially at the, uh, at the university level, students have a hard time understanding what what makes something an academic text, other than just putting in citations. Like what what style features does an academic ha text have? Or, cons or or even for doctoral students, it's often a problem that they that to try to understand what makes something a popular text. How do you turn a scientific text into a popular text? And ChatGPT can give some really nice suggestions around it. So I think that kind of um, introducing variations in style and ways of writing through ChatGPT can be quite powerful. Um, I also think um, ChatGPT's ability to summarize texts is uh, can be used powerfully if used uh, if used well. Um, then I'm less confident about its ability to produce text um, since it's optimizing for completion it you know it will very easily descend into giving bullshit and the more the more specifics you ask for the worse it gets basically but since it is trained on a corpus of material which is very um, confidently expressed it itself comes across as very confident so i think we have to help students to understand that it's in some ways it's kind of like a automated mansplaining machine you know it it produces very very confident output no matter how unconfident it should be so um, 
I think it's good for students to recognize that. And, and in fact, maybe that's something that's good for students. And I have a, 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 an example of a colleague that actually um, had uh, students ask or provide prompts to ChatGPT and then um, try to criticize them, detect where it was um, optimizing for completion, let's say, as a nice way to put it. Um, uh, and where its arguments could be, or like the arguments that it simulated could be um, could be criticized and broken down. And I think that's a nice idea too, um, to, to treat it as a suspect source of information and then to try to interrogate it. Then I think there's going to be a lot of, um, a lot of attempts to use it to produce um, assignments. And uh, I'm sort of conflicted about whether that's good or bad. Um, I certainly see the desire to more quickly produce, say, multiple choice questions or um, to more quickly summarize a text. Um, but um, uh, letting the language model do that does take away some of the um, engagement that the teacher has in the material, which I think is important. Mm. Uh, certainly for a university, as a university teacher myself, I am well aware of the uh, desire to not have to read all the um, material for a class before you go to teach a new class. But on the other hand, if I don't read it and I don't make sense of it myself, um, then it's very difficult for me to engage in the discussions with the students and to engage with their work very well. And so if I let the language model um, do those summaries or produce those quizzes or whatever it is, those things that I usually do to get into the material, then it takes away part of my kind of like natural process for getting into the material. Should we try to coin machine splaining as a phrase? <laughs> I, th I think that sort of catches yeah. what you're talking yeah, about. Maybe, maybe we should. That's yeah. a nicer word than bullshitting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, not not quite as fanciful as hallucination, but uh, yeah. somewhere yeah. in between, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah. I'll tr I'll try to use it, and you can do whatever you want. Yeah. Good. Machine splaining is machine splaining. Yeah. yeah. The the example you you talk about here with um, having ChatGPT, for example, rewriting a text highlights for me the fact that you are using it to sort of in a, uh, in a sort of meta way on mm. a sort of meta level you're not using the actual information that that the models produce but the way it manipulates text yeah so it's sort of at least for now a way around the thorny issue of whether it's machine splaining or bullshitting yeah. or hallucinating or just plain wrong yeah or not yes yeah. is, is that that's a really good way to it? see it i think yeah. um yeah. Right now, the results are nowhere near secure enough. You, like, you cannot rely on it at all for accuracy. So um, I, I think the more powerful way to, to use it is, is, is to use how it's been built. It's like, it's been built to try to make sense of the patterns in how we write text. So obviously, it's very good at reproducing those patterns and, and producing the variations in those patterns. So I think that's something that we can focus on in education, using it for that rather than um, uh, trying to use it to somehow replace Google or somehow um, formulate arguments. I mean, because, you know, I've, you know, you ask it to formulate arguments and at first they will come across as quite good. Um, but they're like, it's like the expression, um, good from far, but far from good. You know, like the, the, the arguments, the closer you get to them, the more you push, the, the, the more shaky it gets. Som man kan høre, så er det temmelig svært at tale om muligheder i brugen af værktøjer som ChatGPT, uden også meget hurtigt at komme ind på nogle af udfordringerne. Så ja, 
Både studerende og lærere kan bruge det til at udforske tekst- og skriveprocesser, skifte mellem stilarter, skrive eksamensspørgsmål og meget mere. Men lige så interessant og potentielt givetigt det kan være, lige så ofte kan det misbruges eller påvirke undervisningen i en negativ retning. Der har ofte været fokus på muligheden for at snyde og få ChatGPT til at skrive sin danske stil eller fysikopgave eller hvad det nu er, eller som lærer at få samtalerobotten til at lave planer for undervisningen, som man selv slipper. Men det er egentlig de videre implikationer i forhold til selve vores læring, der optager Thomas Hillman mest. Han tror med andre ord, at den aktuelle diskussion om, at de studerende kan snyde ved at bruge ChatGPT, relativt hurtigt vil blive irrelevant. Det er i hvert fald ikke det mest interessante spørgsmål og problem at diskutere, hvis man løfter blikket lidt. I think in the short term the challenge that everyone's grappling with is this kind of cheating question. Um, and I think that's valid. I mean, it challenges the way we assess, the way we write examinations, what we're looking for when we assess. Um, if you are examining students by doing a sort of superficial relatively superficial reading of their text and looking for particular keywords in the things they've written obviously chat gpt is going to be able to um, allow them to cheat um, for that kind of assessment but if you're really spending the time to break down the arguments that's it's not going to go so well but i mean and i recognize you know like when you've got 400 students in a class or even 30 students in a high school class and you're doing a lot of assignments that it's a time pressure it's about budgeting your resources as a teacher um And so you can't always do those very kind of detailed assessments. Um, so I totally understand the pressure there. Um, uh, but I think that's a relatively short-term problem. We're already seeing um, so-called chat GPT detectors. Um, so there's you know, already the big um, plagiarism detection companies like Turnitin are um, integrating detectors in their modules. Um, so, I mean, in all likelihood, plagiarism through chat gpt will be handled much like plagiarism has always been handled and in, and in some ways it's kind of democratized um ghost writing i mean before it was only students that had the money that could pay someone to write their work now anyone can get someone to write their work or something to write their work so i mean in that sense it's a kind of it's kind of a good step from a democratic point of view but <laughs> but um i get that it's a it's a it's a problem it's a short term problem though and i don't i don't think it's a problem that will last i think the bigger question is probably these questions around um what it means to learn and i think in some ways there are parallels to uh calculators although a calculator is a much simpler machine um the calculator changed what it means to know arithmetic um and in fact the pencil and paper changed the way it knows to, it, 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 what it means to know arithmetic we we um, until sometime in the 1800s in Europe there was a general assessment that you needed to be able to do it in your head in order for it to count as knowing how to do mathematics uh, and then we started using paper and pencil more and it became you know even in the, after the 70s it became necessary to show your work in math classes which is totally contrary to the idea that you should be able to do it in your head um, and of course when the graphing calculator or the calculator in general came it changed the way that we um, measured what people know we started to talk about people need to know how to use the tool to do the mathematics and so like the question becomes with the advent of something that can write reasonable sentences for us do we then uh, change the way that we Uh, expect people to be able to express knowledge. So 
does our focus become on the way that people are educated to produce prompts for the language model rather than on the actual textual output that they produce? And I think that's going to be the interesting question because fairly soon uh, we're going to end up in a situation where a huge proportion of the text that's available to us online is produced by language models, I would suspect. A lot of these like uh, kind of click journalism, like BuzzFeed kind of things are going to be almost entirely populated with this kind of stuff. And um, <laughs> then we're going to be in this interesting situation where the corpus for future language models has been produced by earlier language models. Um, and then we're going to end up in a situation where we really start to question, like, what is it we're expressing in text? What knowledge are we expressing and how are we expressing knowledge? And are we even involved in that knowledge in process anymore. And I think that's the really exciting part. I mean, it's somewhat scary part of it too. Um, we're going to end up with questions about how much you need to be able to write or need to be able to synthesize information to, to be a citizen, to contribute to society. And I, and I think it's going to raise some very interesting questions. Alle de her muligheder og udfordringer rejser naturligvis også de store spørgsmål om, hvad lærere og studerende skal vide og forstå om de her nye sprogmodeller og AI-systemer, siger Thomas Hillman. Og aktuelt begynder det med en grundlæggende forståelse af, hvordan store sprogmodeller som ChatGPT overhovedet fungerer. Students and, and educators really need to, um, they need to be aware of what the technology actually is and what it does. And I think what we've seen with ChatGPT becoming popular um, is that there's been an enormous amount of confusion about what the technology is actually doing. And um, this kind of stochastic parrot um, idea that the technology is very good at, at, at parroting, at making itself look confident, at being uh, confident, uh, at appearing confident and accurate when it isn't. I mean, that's something that we really need to understand. So it becomes part of... I think part of critical literacy becomes understanding how these models work now. Um, and that's interesting because that was not the case three months ago. <laughs> three months ago, if you talk to the media and information literacy people, they wouldn't have really included this in their assessment of what um, critical literacy should include. And now it clearly does. Like you clearly need to be able to understand what this kind of model produces, how it produces it. So um, it really increases the burden on teachers and students to have some basic understanding of how uh, machine learning functions um, and, and also the kind of particularities of um, the generative algorithms that are in a language model. Um, because if these are going to become very present in our in our everyday lives, like it looks like it is, then we we need to understand what's reasonable to expect of them. So it is super important, not just uh, in air quotes again, to be able to write good prompts or use the text or fact check it uh, mm. after you've generated text, but also to know just a bit about how they work. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. And I mean, we've had this push to bring computational thinking into classrooms and we've seen this kind of repeat of the early 80s where we start doing programming again in classrooms. Um, but I think we have to recognize that that movement doesn't do the job when it comes to this kind of technology. This is a different kind of system. And and understanding how a system that isn't rules-based, that that can't easily be broken down into steps in the way that simple scripts and algorithms can, um, that's a challenge. I mean, a real challenge. Like, it's it's hard for even experts to understand how these systems work. And do you have any more specific ideas of how to go about that? Or is it 
to be determined. I think it's definitely to be determined, and I'm, but I think when you have a specific technology like ChatGPT, you can talk about um, how it how it's built, how it functions, um, and you can try to relate that to the outputs and prompts. Like when you put, you can do exercises where you put prompts into it, you get outputs, and you try to understand it in terms of what you can understand about how it works. So you, you can have a more informed kind of way of breaking down the processes and and, and what's happening there, to kind of open that black box. Mm. Um, but uh, the problem, of course, is that this technology is developing extremely fast and it's changing all the time. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see if the large language model technology stabilizes into a kind of a genre of technology that we can um, have a similar approach to as it's applied in different areas. That would be good because if it starts um, splitting and becoming vastly different kinds of technology doing similar tasks, that's much more difficult to deal with. Og det fortalte altså her professor Thomas Hilman fra Chalmers Tekniske Universitet i Jødeborg. På seminaret i Jødeborg der mødte jeg også Ole Hekstrøm, der er professor i matematik og statistik på Chalmers. I de sidste 10 års tid der har han dog mest beskæftiget sig med kunstig intelligens, og især spørgsmålet om, hvorvidt vi også vil kunne udvikle maskinintelligens, der kan måle sig med ægte menneskelig intelligens, hvordan vi så vil definere det, og ikke mindst, hvad det så vil betyde for vores fremtid. I første omgang, lidt tættere på den aktuelle teknologi, så kan Ole Hekstrøm dog, som de fleste andre, se både positive anvendelser og store risici ved brugen af værktøjer som ChatGPT. I don't think it's hype in the sense that this is something that's going to uh, blow over. There are sometimes um, uh, claims made about it that, that aren't always warranted, but this is definitely something that is about to influence in a very profound way not only the educational system but many many other sectors of society now i have colleagues uh, telling me that uh, when they are about to do uh, a substantial writing task and have trouble getting started they just write a very brief summary of what they want to say and they ask uh, ChatGPT to expand on this in a certain number of words or a certain number of paragraphs. And the final product is not going to be what uh, ChatGTP uh, responded with, but but it's it's something that they can start uh, to work with just to get rid of the writer's block. This seems to be a good device. I, I've never tried that myself. This technology is only three months old but i'm always on the lookout for uh, risks and and i think all these applications uh, will involve risks about um, maybe we uh, lose uh, some depth in our understanding of the subject uh, by uh, losing the crucial uh, writing process uh, um, that that is if it's replaced uh, by the, the somewhat shallower way of working with uh, chat gpt as an example of of how crucial i think the, the writing process is uh, let me relate to how how i um, function in writing mm. so when i'm about to write a text of let's say two or three pages I typically 
know from the start what I'm going to write, not the exact formulations, but I know all the content and the logical structure. And it may be tempting then to conclude that I don't learn anything from the writing process. But what happens is that after I've written this down, I'm on much firmer ground with this particular piece of knowledge. So, so it becomes more like a solid rock that I can step on and write another three-page document which builds on this one. And, and without the writing, I probably wouldn't be able to iterate this uh, procedure in the same way because I cannot, I cannot keep a 100-page argument in my head. Uh, that doesn't work. Perhaps there we will discover ways uh, to achieve the same kind of internal um, argument building and so on with the use of these uh, language models. But it's not clear to me how that will work. So we might lose something along the way. Aktuelt er fokus altså på systemer som ChatGPT og GPT-4 og Microsoft Bing, altså det, som vi bredt kalder AI, kunstig intelligens, selvom man kan diskutere, hvor intelligente de her systemer egentlig er. Ole mener dog, at det er vigtigt at forstå, at selv skaberne af disse sprogmodeller ikke altid er sikre på, hvordan de når frem til deres svar, og at vi måske allerede her i de her værktøjer begynder at kunne ane konturerne af fremtidige, meget mere avancerede systemer. Well, one thing that for sure is very important to understand about it is that not even the, the developers and designers of these models understand in detail how they work. It's largely a, a, a black box. And so skeptics about uh, the extent to which uh, these models are doing any real thinking or, or cognitive work, they will sometimes say that these uh, models don't have a world model. They don't have an internal representation of things that are out there in the real world. They just have, have the language and it's not grounded in anything. And I don't see how they can know that. Um, just as you can um, cook up examples uh, uh, designed to make ChatGPT look silly, you can also cook up examples where it shows really sophisticated levels of understanding. Examples with the property that if I asked you the same thing and you gave the response that ChatGTP gave, I would be uh, convinced that you understand these things. And uh, I think we're making a mistake if we use biased measurement sticks when evaluating how smart these machines are. If, if something that you say uh, sounds smart to me, then I'm kind of not allowed in my opinion to take the same answer from a large language model and say that oh this is just uh, glorified autocomplete so it's worthless i'm sure chat gpt and large language models can give great answers uh, write fantastic text perhaps even produce knowledge that i would think was new But I wouldn't think that there's a consciousness or a true intelligent creature behind it. 
Where do you think we are on that spectrum? You're absolutely right, I think, that intelligence is is not a zero-one property. It's a scale. Mm. And uh, I think that with the present-day technology, we have come uh, fairly far along the way on the spectrum. But we should also realize that intelligence is not a one-dimensional thing. Uh, so there are um, areas where uh, AIs are already super intelligent compared to human level. I mean, chess, for instance. Uh, I, I, I played competitive chess for 30 years, but I'm totally uh, without a chance playing against the best chess AI systems. And the same is true for, for world champion Magnus Carlsen. He, he, he doesn't stand chance either. So that's just one example of where AIs have already surpassed us. Now, there are other areas where uh, we are uh, still superior, far superior uh, to the machines. So to say exactly uh, how much stupider than us they are, or even whether or not they are stupider, uh, depends on some arbitrary, in the end, Uh, weighting of of these uh, different uh, capabilities. Mm. Surely there are some aspects of intelligence that are more important uh, than uh, others. And I have become so impressed by the large language model uh, development that we have seen that I'm putting an increasing weight on uh, language capability as a really, really central part, maybe even the majority of what really constitutes intelligence. But, but this, is, this is open to debate. De her betragtninger fører os direkte hen til det kontroversielle spørgsmål om ægte kunstig intelligens, altså det man også kalder for AGI, Artificial General Intelligence, en form for computerintelligens, der på alle parametre kan måle sig med vores egen menneskelige intelligens. So let me first say that it is a problematic uh, concept, partly because uh, intelligence is so multidimensional. But well, a, a typical definition of artificial general intelligence is t- uh, to have a machine that has the same capability as we humans, or better, in all essential parts of human intelligence. So. Not just narrow things like uh, chess playing or driving a car through heavy city traffic, but but all the the competences uh, that we have, uh, including uh, especially these very um, uh, elusive notions of uh, uh, creativity and uh, uh, capability to think outside the box and so on. And do you think tools like ChatGPT and, and these language models are uh, a step towards AGI? Uh, we cannot know for sure, but it does seem to me that it's quite likely that they are. It's not necessarily the case that just brute force scaling up of these models, which is very much something that is going on. They, they are uh, for every year. They are building bigger and bigger uh, language models based on bigger and bigger uh, deep learning 
uh, networks. Uh, it's not clear that that in itself is going to result in artificial general intelligence. What I think is very likely is that once we have this big breakthrough producing AGI, something like these large language models are likely to be a, a part of such a system, probably an essential part. Men selvom Ole Hekstrøm tror, at ChatGPT og de andre store sprogmodeller måske kan blive en vigtig del af udviklingen i retning af langt mere avancerede og intelligente systemer, og måske altså også ægte generelt kunstig intelligens, så er han slet ikke sikker på, at det vil ske i fremtiden, og da slet ikke i løbet af de næste få år. Han mener dog, at vi afgjort bliver nødt til at forberede os nu med mere viden, regulationer og offentlige diskussioner, fordi vi ellers ikke vil være i stand til som samfund at håndtere mere avanceret kunstig intelligens efterhånden, som den bliver udviklet. Den store udfordring, som også skaberne af GPT-systemerne hos OpenAI taler om, er at lave det, som man kalder Aligned AI. Altså kunstig intelligens, som i en eller anden grad er skabt og styret, så den flugter med os menneskers etiske, juridiske, politiske og måske kulturelle syn på verden. Omvendt er det så potentielt en kolossal, måske eksistentiel trussel mod os, hvis vi laver ukontrolleret AI, som ikke flugter med vores moral, sociale normer osv., maskiner, som bare kører fuldstændig deres eget løb. Ligesom med spørgsmålet om intelligens, så støder vi dog hurtigt på det problem, at ikke alle er enige om, hvad god etik er eller hvilke love, der er nødvendige. Så vi bliver nok nødt til at acceptere, at der kommer til at være mange forskellige kunstige intelligenser med forskellige opfattelser af verden. I cannot know the future, and I think that to have a firm opinion on on that question is just epistemically reckless. Instead, I think we should prepare for all possibilities, including being prepared for present day. Uh, technology being on the track towards uh, creating artificial general intelligence in the next five years or so. Uh, if that is the case, and I think that we have a big problem because we haven't prepared sufficiently well uh, for such a scenario at present time because the various AIs that are released now in particular these large language models are not always well behaved so so we haven't been successful in aligning their behaviors towards what we want and if you fail with that task with an AGI it may be uh, unboundedly catastrophic or what uh, what we like to call an existential risk a, a risk that threatens the the very existence of uh, the human species. Som vi har hørt Thomas Hillman tale om tidligere, så er der allerede nu masser af udfordringer ved værktøjer som ChatGPT i undervisningen. Så hvad tænker Ole Hekstrøm om den potentielle fremkomst af langt mere intelligente computersystemer også i relation til skoler og universiteter og undervisning og forskning? Hvordan kan vi overhovedet forberede os selv og kommende generationer på den udvikling? I can talk a little bit about it, but I cannot give you an answer. I think that the the best shots is if we help the students attain a flexibility of mind, a flexibility of thinking that 
makes it easier for them uh, to pick up on the capabilities that turn out relevant uh, five or ten years down the road uh, without our being able to identify these these uh, important capabilities now we we should be ready for uh, surprises now it's I mean it's easy to 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 say uh, we should teach our students uh, flexible thinking and uh, learning capabilities uh, and it, it, this is much harder to implement so we have a, a lot of thinking to do on this issue and it's not clear that we have oceans of time to think about them so we just have to work very intensively on on trying your, to answer your your very good question mm. but uh, we don't have an answer at present og det sagde altså her professor Ole Hekstrøm hos Chalmers Tekniske Universitet i Göteborg. Og nu er det jo allerede en total kliché, men det ville næsten ikke være en rigtig podcast-episode om samtalerobotter, hvis vi ikke også slog en af dem få et indspark. Så jeg har selvfølgelig lige chattet med Microsoft Bing AI for at høre, hvad den tænker om nogle af de store udfordringer ved eventuelt fremtidig ægte kunstig intelligens, og hvordan AI måske ligefrem kan være en trussel mod selve vores eksistens. Hej, dette er Bing. En eksistentiel risiko er en risiko, der truer menneskehedens langsigtede potentiale, enten ved at afslutte dens eksistens, eller ved at undergrave fremtidige fremskridt. En af de vigtigste eksistentielle risici forsaget af menneskelig aktivitet, er ukontrolleret kunstig intelligens. Ukontrolleret AI er en AI, der ikke deler eller respekterer menneskelige værdier og mål, og som kan handle mod dem. Kan du komme med et eksempel på ukontrolleret eller unaligned AI fra, fra hverdagen? De fleste af disse AI-systemer er ikke ukontrolleret, da de er designet til at tjene menneskelige behov og interesser. Men der kan være nogle tilfælde, hvor AI opfører sig på måder, der ikke er i overensstemmelse med menneskelige værdier eller forventninger. For eksempel kan en AI, der er trænet til at optimere klikrater på sociale medier, ende med at fremme falske eller skadelige indhold. Eller en AI, der er trænet til at diagnostisere sygdomme, kan overse nogle vigtige symptomer eller bivirkninger. Disse er eksempler på ukontrolleret AI i virkeligheden, som kan have negative konsekvenser for mennesker. Men hvad synes du, at vi skal undervise i, eller hvordan synes du, vi skal undervise i AI i skoler og andre uddannelsesinstitutioner, for at minimere risikoen for, at fremtidige AI kan blive øh, undslippe vores kontrol. Hvad skal studerende lære og forstå om AI? Det er et godt spørgsmål. AI er et vigtigt og relevant emne for studerende at lære og forstå, da det vil påvirke mange aspekter af deres fremtidige liv og karriere. Undervisning i AI kan hjælpe studerende med at udvikle problemløsende færdigheder og kritisk tænkning ved at beskæftige sig med spørgsmål om etik, samfund og bæredygtighed. Det kan også hjælpe dem med at blive mere kreative, nysgerrige og selvsikre i at bruge og inddrage med avancerede teknologier. Tak, Bing. Men øh, det er måske en lille smule øh, bullshit-agtigt det her. Øh, lidt, lidt machinesplaning for at gribe tilbage til snak med Thomas Hilman. Hvis du vil have nogle mere konkrete eksempler på, hvordan man kan undervise i AI i skoler og andre uddannelsesinstitutioner, kan du se på disse idéer, analysere historiske begivenheder i samfundsfag ved hjælp af AI til at finde mønstre. Hjælpe yngre elever med at se mønstre i naturen. Tilpasse sprogundervisningen ved hjælp af AI til at oversætte, 
Forbedre online diskussionsfora og analysere studenters succesmålinger ved hjælp af AI-værktøjer og platforme i højere uddannelse. Er det mere klart for dig nu? Er, er det mere klart for dig nu? Ja, Bing skulle lige klemme en lille kommentar ind til sidst, som godt kan tolkes som hjælpsomhed, men altså lige har en snært af i rettesættelse. Så selv tak, Bing. Og med det nåede vi afslutningen af denne episode af Computational Thinking – At tænke med maskiner. Denne gang medvirkede professor Thomas Hilman og professor Ole Hekstrøm, begge fra Chalmers Teknisk Universitet i Jødeborg. Episoden var som nævnt den første af tre, hvor vi ser nærmere på AI og undervisning. Næste gang skal vi besøge professor Thor Husfeldt på IT-Universitetet i København, og endelig tager vi tredje episode til Skanderborg for at høre, hvordan værktøjer som ChatGPT allerede bliver brugt ude i undervisningen. Computational Thinking udgives af IT Vest og er produceret af Potlab. Jeg hedder Anders Høgh Nissen. Tak for denne gang.